So Juliet, who are we canceling today? I think we should cancel all trans and anti-trans internet discourses. That sounds amazing to me. Like, how how would we go about doing that? <laughs> I don't know. We have a lot of work ahead of us, so. Oh, geez. We better get into it. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Burns, and you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy, the show where we take a closer look at all the panic around cancel culture with thoughtful analysis and verbal shitposting. Joining me today, I'm very excited to have Julia Serrano, trans author and activist, who is going to be out soon with a, a new addition to her amazing book, Whipping Girl, which is one of my personal favorites. Julie, I'm really excited to have you. It's been a really long time. I don't know if you remember meeting me uh, in person like years ago. Back in, in Maine, uh, yes. Maine, I believe it was. Yeah, that was, uh, I still can't believe I got you to sign my copy of Whooping Girl. You <laughs> <laughs> have no idea how happy that made me, but uh, so you're out with a new edition of the book. Is that correct? Yes, it's actually the third edition of Whooping Girl. Third edition. That's incredible. Um, and what is different about this edition compared to previous ones? So um, I, I think it's kind of useful. I, I feel like all the editions are happening uh, at, at particular times. So the book came out in 2007. And then my publisher came to me in like 2014, like literally transgender tipping point um, and said, hey, maybe a second edition. So I, I wrote a new preface for that. Yeah, I'll put the book in context, but it's also like very optimistic. So that's still in the book. Um, I updated kind of the, the trans-related language part of that. But then the main new edition, so the bulk of the book is the same. Uh, the main new edition is there's an afterword now. So my publisher came to me kind of in the midst of this anti-trans moral panic, a very, very different, uh, you know, milieu to be writing about it. So I got the chance to write an afterword about trans use and anti-trans moral panic. It's a topic we've talked about on this show many times, but I'm curious, you know, you're somebody who devotes your life to working towards trans liberation, trans equality. Since your book first came out in 2007, like how have things changed in your in your mind? I would say the the main difference is that when I wrote Whipping Girl, I, you know, I hoped that it would resonate with a lot of trans people. And I thought it might like maybe reach out to the greater LGBTQ plus um, communities and feminist communities who at the time were literally outside of like medical discourses. They were the only groups even talking or thinking anything about about trans people. As I would say, the main difference is back then I was very used to the fact that if I came out to people's trans, sometimes they didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> like, like there was just such a lack of awareness, um, particularly in mainstream audiences. And I think the main difference now is everybody has some trans awareness. Sometimes their awareness is really distorted and twisted. Um, and sometimes it's uh, actually decent awareness. Like a, a lot of people these days, I think it, it was... 42% I saw in a recent poll, 42% of people know someone who's trans, um, which back in the zeros was definitely not the case. So I would say that's been the biggest change over that time. Yeah, you call it the zeros. I have always gone with the aughts. It's interesting. That comes out. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go back and forth between the two. But I the zeros, yeah, it's 
I like the, the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I had never heard that. It's, it's really for a loop. Um, my own transition, it was much later, even than your second edition. I, I first transitioned in 2016. So when I look at you and your work, I, I really look up to you as sort of a, somebody who's way more experienced with this stuff than I am. But I'd imagine you've sort of seen the internet come into contact with the trans rights movement, certainly the anti-trans movement over time. I've written before about how the internet is sort of a double-edged sword for a lot of trans people, particularly about trans women, where it gives us a chance to meet and organize, meet other trans people and then organize, but it also raises our visibility to the point where it's significantly easier for bigots to find us or find targets um, to harass or, or or worse. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your analysis of how the internet has helped shape the moment that we're in now, particularly with social media. Sure, yeah. And I like the, there's the internet, and I, th- I think the internet has been really vital for trans people finding one another and connecting with one another um, back into zeros again. <laughs> Um, around the time I transitioned, um, so very early zeros, um, was around the time there were like, you know, e-groups. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, really early, you know, I guess blogs were a couple of years away, but there were uh, just basically a lot of little internet groups and, and, and email groups. Uh, that was incredible. Like, I, I'm lucky in that I live in the Bay Area and I was already um, had a lot of queer friends but especially for people kind of who have less of of that kind of like local community for people to find one another and you know so people kind of sharing their experiences with different like trans doctors or hormone regimes or people talking about like you know politics um and and you know their thoughts about kind of gender liberation so all of that was happening there and it was really great but it was really you had to look for it you had to search for it and so this was all kind of like us in our own community, building community together. And social media changed all that. And I remember right around the time when Twitter and Facebook and and so forth, when when those started uh, becoming big and people were, were on them, was around the time that anti-trans like activism, especially like anti-trans feminists or TERFs or gender criticals, whatever you want to call them, um, they'd always existed, but that was around the time that they started kind of more hardcore going after high visibility trans people. Um, and I, I could name names, but I'm not going to name names uh, of, of, of like kind of the first really vehement like anti-trans activists who would, would like take stuff from people's profiles and like, you know, just, yeah, they, they would just run with it. It was around that time that I had my first experiences of like people making fake blogs by me, like pretending to be me and stuff like that. And that has gotten increasingly intense more and more. And especially now, because before the anti-trans feminists, they were like small and nobody really knew about them, <laughs> except if you're a trans person, you knew about them. And if you're a feminist, you probably knew about them, but most people did it. But now with like literally the whole right wing of our country and large swaths of people in the UK. There's just all these people who are very online who, you know, the fact that there are all these people 
posting, a lot of times people make an anti-trans comment to me and I'll quickly look at their their feed, their their timeline, and it's like, you know, 50 to 100% anti-trans stuff. Like it's like, that's mm. like the entirety of what their account is. And so that I couldn't have fathomed, you know, 10 years ago that that would be part of a huge, you know, just a huge anti-trans movement. I always knew that, you know, I understand that some people feel uncomfortable about trans people because, you know, we we challenge a lot of social norms. Um, and for some people, we're kind of new. And um, like in their minds, we, we are not new. We've been around for forever. But I understand people being uncomfortable. Um, and I understand there are obviously some people ideologically who've always been very anti-LGBTQ more generally. But the idea of like just large swaths of people making part of their identities, them being anti-trans is something I never could have imagined. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, we've both been um, targets, if you could say, of, of the anti-trans movements at, at various times. I've also seen um, seen some of those anti-trans people trying to like twist some of the arguments from Whipping Girl um, in, in, I think, ways that you don't intend. But like, how does that make you feel as like a writer and a you know, and a scholar when you see that sort of thing? It is very frustrating. I'm very used to the fact that being a writer in any way, that there are always going to be people who have a take on what you said that is not at all what you were trying to say. Uh, that can be frustrating across the board. Uh, I would say that with a lot of the anti-trans things, there's just a lot of really knowing, duplicitous arguments or quoting whipping girl out of context in order to make some point that is mostly just like on the verge of ad hominem. Mm -hmm. One example that I actually recently wrote about, it's on my uh, medium and also I'm, I have a sub stack too. That's a whole other thing, but on um, my cross post to both. So if you don't like that, you can read me on medium, but I recently wrote a post about this really common out of context quote from whipping girl that just makes it sound like essentially that, I'm describing my dealing with really sexist like thoughts as my my sexuality is burgeoning and I'm just trying to make sense of a world in this hierarchy where I inexplicably wanted to be a girl or understood myself to be a girl, but then there are all these sexist messages out there as like me kind of dealing with it. And they kind of twist it to make it sound like I'm this lecherous man who thinks that like, you know, women are only good for sex. Mm -hmm. You know, they have their whole um other talking points about us, you know, being perverts and sexual predators. And they just like take this little small piece of me writing about being a teenager, grappling with internalized misogyny. And the whole point of the piece is getting over that, how I work to get over that. And just to, to take that out of context, um, just to smear me in the way that they want to smear me. It's just really messed up. There's another one. So uh, Sheila Jeffries, who's uh, the one of the more academic trans-exclusionary feminists, she wrote about me in her book, and she really pushes the autogynophilia agenda thing, which is something that in Whipping Girl, I highly critique, and yeah. um, I've, I've since written other things about it. But um, she took the fact that like an early exploratory thing for me was I just had this self-understanding that I should be a girl, and I took curtains off the wall, and just like looking in the mirror, kind of recognizing 
like seeing myself as this like really this epiphany, right? <laughs> and I was like 11 at the time. And she took that to make that be, because the, the curtains happened to be lacy, which I described in the thing, but it was this is like before I had any like sexual experiences or I, w I had no sexual attraction at the time. And it was just like literally, I put on something that looked like a dress and I saw, I recognized myself there. And she like turned it into this autogonophilia thing. And it's just like for, for a movement that complains that trans people are supposedly sexualizing children, it's like she literally took me as a child and sexualized me in order to fit her, um, her narrative. So it, it can be, I don't mind it when people read something into what I've written that I haven't said that's understandable and that's something as a writer I always try to make it really clear what I said and sometimes uh you know that's something every writer has to deal with but just some of the stuff that the anti-trans people do taking whipping girl out of context is extremely uh it's duplicitous and it's defamatory like basically yeah I mean I'm at the point this at this point where I like very rarely write about myself like uh, I just don't write about experiences as a kid. I don't write about my own family. I don't write about you know, my former marriage, anything like that. Just because I know it's going to get taken and twisted and co-opted. One of the things that I remember from Whipping Girl is you had great analysis of how trans women's appearances are sort of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. But they're sort of like um, hyper critiqued by society, and I I see so many of these transphobes online will just take like an early transition picture of a trans woman who is making like a really smart post, right, or making a really good point, or or wrote something that's very effective that's moving people, and they're like, "This is the quote unquote woman that you are." boosting right and it's like this pre-transition picture really really early tra transition picture and i wonder if you could talk about like why the hell they do that <laughs> like why is this why do they do it why does it seem to work uh on other transphobes like what the fuck <laughs> yeah so so one thing i point out in whipping girl is that feminists have long talked about the double bind that that women often face where you know if if you act very femininely people will see you as appropriate but they'll dismiss you for being too feminine right and so there's lots of ways in which we in our culture deride or dismiss anything and anyone that's feminine um but if a woman acts too aggressive or assertive or anything that's masculine coded then like she becomes this aberration and then there are all these slurs that she'll experience for that, right? It's a double bind. Mm -hmm. And that is very amplified, I think, for trans women and trans feminine people in that, you know, for us, like, they can always point to the you're really a man. And I've had the experience, a lot of people have had the experience where if you're just acting like yourself, um, somebody else who doesn't know you're trans, they would probably call you, you know, call you a bitch or call you you know, whatever kind of slur they they would use to malign any woman who's kind of out of her place acting too masculine. They'll do that to us. And then at the same time, if we're at all in any way feminine, then it's like, oh, they're hyper feminine. They're parodies of womanhood. They're like putting on 
you know, c- comparisons of being trans to like, you know, blackface. Mm-hmm. So, so they'll do that, but that's basically a situation that all women have to deal with. And they're basically using, you know, sexist stereotypes against us. Um, I also think that one of the reasons why um, there's a lot of focus on um, trans women and trans feminine people rather than um, trans male and masculine people is a lot of that is rooted in the idea that trans people are seen as artificial compared to cisgender people. And femininity is viewed as artificial relative to masculinity. Mm. And so if you want to paint trans people as like fake women and fake men, it's a lot easier to do that with people who um, transgress gender norms or transition more towards the female or the feminine. So it's basically really sexist ideas about femininity being artificial that really helps them to make that case, this essentially really sexist case that they're making, whether they know it or not, um, against trans women and trans feminine people. What can, like, um, the average listener that's listening right now, right, what can they do to sort of push back on these narratives? Or do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how people can modify their social media use to maybe more effectively counter or avoid some of these narratives or harassment? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Um, One thing that I started doing a while ago that I feel really helps is just blocking (laughs) because this is the thing they really want engagement and they really they get off on it and i'm not you know i'm not saying they sexually get off on it although maybe that's happening for some of them but like yeah they it like fuels them right they they want they want to get into an argument with a trans person online they want to have an excuse to say really hard things about trans people and sometimes i'll see you know sometimes trans people sometimes cis allies will like try to engage with them and try to change their minds. I just yes, think it. if someone is speaking from a place that it's clear they don't really have any awareness of trans people, I think it's worth trying to engage with them. But I think in a lot of these cases, they're just, these people are like, they live for this. And so yeah. just blocking them, I think is a, a really good way of, of, of dealing with that. But Tulia, what, what if you, uh, what if you're like me and you have a big mouth? just kidding i'm kidding well i mean this is the thing that we've all had this thing i don't know any high profile you know trans women online who haven't at some point had to like go private um for a bit because of some kind of either anti-trans or sometimes they're like trans related or intra-community related discourses um and so we've all been there and for me it's usually an anti-trans pile on but occasionally it will be something that um, is within the trans community. And, you know, we know um, that there are lots of um, divides and debates within the trans community about myriad issues. <laughs> you know, going private is also a good strategy. When you said a little bit earlier that you don't talk about, like, your life online, I mean, I feel like the same <laughs> way. Like, there's a time where I would be like, oh, I went out with so-and-so friends and you know, I did this thing and this is someplace I often go. And like, I don't do any of that online because I'm like, I don't want anyone to harass my friends. I don't want people to know like where they might find me. <laughs> like if I mention a place that I like to go. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really harrowing in that way. And so I kind of feel like 
a lot of times it feels social media feels like a bit of a minefield with all that. I, I'm one of those people who goes private quite often. I and I actually think I'm go private more often when it's an intra community um pylon that's happening to me. Um and that's just because I have that setting on Twitter where you don't see notifications for people unless like they follow me or I follow them. And I there's just there just aren't that many anti trans people who follow me or that I follow. I don't think I follow any anti trans people to be honest with you. So I end up seeing the harassment from the intra community side. And like sometimes uh, there's a recent example, and I forget exactly what prompted it, but somebody DMs me and they're like, Are you doing okay? I was like, What are you talking about? They're like, Oh, you're getting piled on by these transphobes over here. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> like, like I made whatever tweet and went on with my day, and there's you know, a couple hundred people frothing at the mouth with my mentions, and I don't even see how much great. <laughs> <laughs> what what can we do to sort of push back? You answered one side of that last question, um, with uh, like what are the tools available to avoid the harassment side of things? But like, how can we push back on a lot of these really common sexist narratives that people have about trans people as a community? As things have gotten worse, um, like one like weird bright side of that is I think that a lot of people outside the community are now willing to see that people harboring weird views about trans people or gender affirming care or and so on that that those people are anti-trans rather than concerned people just expressing some views. Um, I, I definitely think that it's it's been made very clear that like people who let's just say a couple years ago um if they had written something about oh i have concerns about this gender affirming care um thing with trans youth like maybe we should investigate this more i think at the time that sounded very reasonable even though a lot of us in the community and as well as a lot of trans health providers were saying actually there's like all this research there's like you know we're we're doing the research we should be you know, the um, the rates of, you know, regret are, are very low. I think that struck the average person since they didn't know a lot about trans people or that, that that would strike them as reasonable. And I think now people are more likely to see that as part of an anti-trans campaign just because that side has gotten so strong. And all of a sudden there are all these bills trying to, to ban health care. And I think similarly, especially since since we're on Cancel Be Daddy, um, I think same thing with like a lot of the canceling stuff at the time, people were like, oh yeah, this is really serious. It's canceling. And I think now a lot of times when people claim to be canceled, everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's um, yeah. like people see through it a little bit more than before. So that is something I'm optimistic about that uh, I think people will recognize kind of anti-trans talking points more readily now. But I still think it's very hard because trans people, we're in this community, we're going through certain obstacles in our lives, we're, we're dealing with a lot of stuff and, and we have knowledge about that, that a lot of times people don't want to um, acknowledge or they're oblivious to. So when people will say something like, oh, you can't even say the word woman anymore, it's all pregnant people and people who menstruate. And for a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, I didn't even know this was going on. Oh, wow, th that is a bridge too far. And then trans people are like, um, this language has been around a long time and nobody is saying you can't 
say the word woman and the people saying, oh, you can't even say the word woman anymore would like yell at me if I call myself a trans woman. They'd be like, no, trans women are men. Yeah. It's like, I just called myself a woman. How could I be getting rid of the word woman? <laughs> it's all so ridiculous. Like, uh, I feel like I was dropped into like Alice in Wonderland, but with idiots. <laughs> Did you foresee it all like back? Like, take yourself back to 2007 when you were writing Whipping, Whipping Girl. Did you foresee a future in which trans people sort of took the place of the gay marriage debate that was happening at the time as sort of the conservative queer bugaboo, if you will? Did you foresee any of this coming or is this has it sort of developed in a way that has surprised you? I have this memory of actually it was like around the time when I was working on writing Whipping Girl that um, it was this thing that really shocked me was um, I came across and I came across this from like being online as a trans person, like it was shared in a group. And it was one of those focus on the family type conservative groups. And it was like a pamphlet about trans people, um, like specifically targeting trans people. I remember when I saw I was shocked because it was just I grew up my whole life in a world where people like presume the worst about trans people you know they didn't know anything and were just full of all these you know like you know two-dimensional stereotypes but like no one ever felt like they had to coordinate a campaign against trans people and so that was the first time i saw that and so when that happened that definitely did alert me to the fact that this could be something that became more common and it eventually did um, and like lots of people point to 2015 being the simultaneous simultaneous year of Obergefell happening. So same-sex marriage is legalized in the U.S. And the first rash of bathroom bills like both happened in the U.S. at the same time. So I definitely think it ramped up then. So I'm not surprised. I think what I'm surprised that I'm not surprised that conservative people who have long been like anti-LGBTQ+, I am not at all surprised that they've coordinated and and that they're doing it. And so, and a lot of their talking points, you know, ideas of trans people being, you know, sinners or, or whatever, like that kind of stuff doesn't surprise me, but it's the weird twisted, like the stuff that gets called gender critical, um, sometimes pretends to be feminism, but sometimes doesn't even, where they just come up with all this convoluted, these convoluted ideas particularly about like gender affirming care and trans use, especially, but also just other things like about where they have all these just bizarre concoctions. Like, you know, there's the uh, famous one that um, Helen Joyce in her book, Trans, she basically took this thing that exists. I, I think it's Jennifer Billick's idea that trans people are plot by Jewish billionaires to create a transhumanist society and like the idea that that just goes around and some people believe that it's just like you people are like, you know, like you said, like, like Alice in Wonderland with idiots. <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't when like, what planet are you on that? Like trans people are like, we're just trying to survive and we're dealing with a lot of stigma. We're dealing with a lot of obstacles. Like we're just people just trying to get by, but like just ideas that like, you know, there's this whole plot of, doctors trying to like rush children into hormones and surgery it's like what doctor would do that 
Like, that's not what's happening. Like, not only are ch young children are not having anything to do with hormones and surgery, but just like, like, listen to yourselves. Like, like, what kind of twisted world do you live in that you believe that there's like this vast conspiracy of people trying to transient on children? Yeah, it's just like utterly bizarre. But, you know, we live in a world where there are a lot of conspiracies conspiracy theories floating around and trans people are part of a bunch of them yeah unfortunately i think social media only drives that further down the road which um you know is great for me because i i write i have a podcast about social media so that'll be endless endless show topics my god i'm nihilistic <laughs> um <laughs> julia uh this is this has been great and it's been such an honor to speak with you and i hope our listeners check out your book are you down for some out of context cancellations sure yeah let's do it all right so these are listeners submitted you can do so through our discord server and you can get discord access by becoming a five dollar a month patreon supporter now these are completely random i have no context for why these people Actually, I have some context for a couple of them, but these are meant to be out of context, but we're first canceling Etsy. I'm not sure why. Uh, I, I am a very infrequent uh, Etsy shopper, um, but I'm sure they've done something bad to somebody. <laughs> I'll believe it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the next one, I think you'll appreciate a little bit. We are finally canceling Discourse. Yes. <laughs> like we need to get rid of all of this right like we should just stop talking in my opinion um maybe that was some of the conspiracy theories i don't know <laughs> this next one i'm pretty sure i know the context of we don't necessarily have to touch on it but we are canceling rishi sunak of the the prime minister of the united kingdom who uh I don't even want to talk about it, actually. He had some nasty comments. <laughs> yes, I, I know. Full, I'm fully aware of what you're referring to, and I 100% agree. Let's definitely cancel him. Yes. Now, this next one, not to be confused with Discourse, we are canceling Discord, which is an online, like, sort of gaming a ch chat message. I don't even know how to describe it. I use it every day and I don't even know how to describe it. And in this case, uh, it's the font of their Chinese New Year like celebration is the reason why we're canceling it. I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, I, I'm not. Discord is one of the places that I'm not on. So I, I don't know exactly. Um, I haven't seen this, but I'm all for I'm all for <laughs> the canceling. Let's cancel. I think you. <laughs> I think you might be the first trans woman I've ever met who doesn't use Discord. So <laughs> I well, I have a lot of friends on Discord, and, and there are definitely some things in my life that there are Discords for. And uh, I just am like, I'm online too much anyway, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm checking Twitter too much. And now there's the blue skies and the mastodons and everything. Like, I just I can't do one more. <laughs> Actually, can I share a win that I had this week personally? Sure. Um, I, uh, get notifications like every Saturday about my, um, phone usage for the week. And I had, for the first time ever, my phone told me I spent less than an hour a day on my phone for the whole last week, which I've literally never done before. I was so damn proud of myself. Yay. I don't know if that's good though. I'm a journalist. I'm supposed to keep informed. <laughs> I don't know if an hour is, is enough time to do my job, but we'll see. 
And lastly, we are canceling emails. Your email does not find me well, and I do not want to respond to it, <laughs> is what our listener said. Yes, I, I feel like my perpetual, I have, I have, and I'm sure that this applies to a lot of people listening to, I have uh, in my inbox, because the inbox are full up, and so I have a folder, it's called A Top Priority, and so it's an A, so it's like at the, the top thing, so it's the easiest place to move something to. Oh, that's such And then a good that idea. just becomes like, and I do answer some emails, but I just get so many emails. <laughs> we all get too many emails. So yes, let's cancel the emails. If you would like to become a supporter of the show, the best way that, to do that is through Patreon. We have a lot of perks there. You can get access to episodes early. Um, and you can learn more about those perks at patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. And Julia, it's so great to have you on the show. We should definitely do this again, maybe for the fourth edition of Whoopi Girl. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be reason uh, before then. Um, but for our listeners, how, like, how can they uh, continue to follow your work? Where are the best places to to find you? Sure, yeah. I'm, so I'm at Julia Serrano on almost every platform that I am on. Um, I still spend a bunch of time on the Twitter machine, but I'm also on Blue Sky. Um, I sometimes check into my Mastodon. Um, and my website, juliasarana.com, you can always check that out. That's always there. And I have a writings page that if you go there, I literally have links and they're all no paywall links to virtually everything I've written online over the last 20 years. So if you ever want to kind of read some stuff, it's all there and it's all free. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today's show was made by me, Caitlin Burns, and my amazing editor, Maria Peliagos. Dee Petersmith made our theme song, and Eden M.W. designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the members of our Canceler Hall of Fame, with the great power to cancel all their enemies, Meg. We appreciate your support. Happy canceling! Oh